If you have a Bible, if you would take it and turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Every Sunday morning at this time in our service, we uh, hear a portion of God's law. Uh, Sometimes the design of that is that we might, again, recognize our sin and recognize that we need Jesus and uh, that our only hope is found in him. Sometimes the the purpose of reading a portion of God's law is to remind us of how God calls us to live. And that's going to be the case this morning as we hear from Romans 12 and we hear what God says to us through the Apostle Paul uh, in calling us to live as his people. And so I'd like to read Romans 12 uh, beginning at verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." If you uh, know the book of Romans, and I know that uh, we have a couple of groups in our church who are actually studying the book of Romans right now, but if you know the book of Romans, you know that Paul spends a a really good chunk of this book talking about salvation by grace alone. He he spends the first three chapters essentially saying that that we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us who by nature understands God, seeks for God. But, but then he shifts his focus and he, he turns his attention to the work of Christ. And so from the end of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 11, uh, Paul is expounding and, and hammering home the, the very crucial, important point that we are right with God, we are justified with God on the basis of the work of Christ alone. Well now, as chapter 12 begins, there is a shift in the focus. Paul says, okay, After all that I have said, in light of what God has done for you in Jesus, in light of God's saving grace, in light of his mercy to you, this is how God now calls you to live. And he says, first of all, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in in verses 3 through 8, and he gives us one example of what a living sacrifice looks like. And essentially what he is saying is that a living sacrifice means that we are active parts of the body of Christ. That's going to be one of the the great emphases in our worship service this morning is that we are called to use our gifts, we are called to be involved in one another's lives, and we are called to serve one another. Now, Now we don't do this in order to earn brownie points with God. We don't do this so that when we die he will let us into heaven. Uh, salvation, again, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But in light of what God has done for us, in light of the fact that we are now indwelt by his Holy Spirit and we are new creatures in Christ, we are called to use whatever gifts he's given us to serve one another. Not all of us are the same. He, he makes the point that we have many members in our body. We're not all hands. We're not all eyes. We're not all feet. But whatever we are and whatever gifts God has given to us, in in light of God's saving grace toward us, our response is to say, Lord, I want to use 
my gifts to serve others, to serve the body of Christ, to bring glory to you. So that is how God calls us to live. That's how he is speaking to us this morning through his word. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. And one example of that is that you and I are using whatever gifts God's given to us to serve each other here in the local church. We're going to bow before the Lord in a moment of prayer because we know that uh, there are many times when we perhaps don't use the gifts. come to the Lord in our congregational prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the King, eternal, immortal, and invisible. Before the mountains were brought forth or you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we take great joy and comfort in knowing that, that we are praying to the one who is all-powerful. We are praying to the one who rules and reigns over all things. We are praying to the one who directs all things to their appointed ends. And we are praying to the one who will provide all that we need for body and soul. Father, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy to us. We are thankful for the work of the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And we pray now for your continued hand of blessing upon our church. We pray, Lord, that in light of the gospel, in light of our salvation, that, that we would seek to be faithful in serving one another and using the gifts you have given to us for the benefit of one another. Lord, as we heard earlier from the book of Romans, we pray that, again, as a response to your grace and mercy to us, as a response to the great salvation that we have been given, we pray that we would offer our lives as living sacrifices to you. Help us not to be conformed by the thinking of this world, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your word and by your Holy Spirit. We pray for the beginning of BLAST this coming week. We pray for all of the various groups that will be meeting. We ask that these would be beneficial, Lord, for all of us. We, we pray even as we gather for a time of dinner on Wednesday night that this would be an opportunity for us to enjoy fellowship with one another, to thank you for your good gifts that you give to us each and every day. We thank you for all who have committed to the BLAST ministry and other ministries in this church and, and pray that you would bless them and give them joy in their service. 
We lift up today those who are weighed down with physical burdens, whether it's disease or a chronic condition or something that improvement doesn't seem likely. We, we pray for peace for them. We pray that they would rest in your promises to them. And we pray that if it is your will, that you would grant them relief. For those who are struggling with anxiety or fear or loneliness, we pray that you would comfort them. We pray that you would remind them of your love that will never end. We thank you for all of our children, all of our young people. We pray that you would bless them in their studies. We pray for all of our parents that that you would give them all that they stand in need of, that they might continue to raise their children in a way that is honoring to you. Lord, help us also as a congregation to, to reach out to those who are hurting, to minister to those who have various needs. Help us as well to, to reach out to and enfold those who are new to our congregation. As we give this morning, we pray that our giving would be a response of gratitude for all that you have given to us. And as we open your word today, Lord, again, we desperately need your spirit And so we pray that he would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that that we might understand and embrace and live out your truth. Father, again, we thank you that you are the God who hears prayers and who answers them according to your will. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We now give to the general fund, and that offering will now be taken.
Thank you, Glenn. We're going to sing, uh, before we open the Bible this morning, we're going to sing uh, a hymn that we have not sung before, but the tune is familiar. The, the hymn is entitled, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. It's based on Psalm 23. Most of us know Psalm 23 is a, a wonderful psalm that reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd. And one of the ways that God shepherds his people is in his word. And so a helpful reminder this morning before we open the scriptures is that uh, the Lord Jesus cares for us and shepherds us and guides us by feeding us his word. So the tune is familiar. Uh, there are, I believe, six stanzas. We're going to sing all of them, and we're going to stand as we sing.
Please take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Haggai. Um, Haggai is near the end of the Old Testament. It's between the books of Zephaniah and Zechariah. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 791. We finished uh, Revelation last Sunday morning, and for the next two Sundays, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. It's very short, just two chapters Uh, We're going to look at that over the next two weeks. So this morning, Haggai chapter 1. This is God's word. This is not um, human literature. This is inspired by God. It's the very word of God. So let's give our attention now to the reading of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month... On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord." You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, in the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, in the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. It is in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus says these well-known words. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a great promise. I love that promise. We don't build the church. Jesus does. But, But here's the thing we have to remember. As Jesus builds his church... He uses human instruments. He uses people like us. 
Despite our weaknesses, despite our shortcomings, despite our struggles, God has decreed, God has determined that he would use us in the strengthening and the the building and the growing of his church. And, And maybe we need to be reminded of that this morning. Maybe we need to again hear God's call that that we are to be active parts of the body of Christ. Last Sunday morning, I I made a comment, I think in the announcements, that it's time to move forward. It's time to, in a sense, get back to what the Lord has called us to do. And what the Lord has called us to do can be summarized really in three words. Upward, inward, and outward. Outward. Upward means that we are called to worship the Lord. That's why we're here this morning. Now, there is the added benefit that we get to see one another, we get to interact with one another, but but we are here, we are called by God into this building to worship him, to engage our hearts, to engage our minds, to, from our hearts, praise him and sing to him because of what he's done for us. And in everything that we do, every ministry of this church is to be done for the glory of God. Inward, the second word, means that we are called to love one another. We are called to serve one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens. We're we're called to pray for one another and to encourage one another. We're called to, to grow together in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We can't do that if we don't know each other. We can't do that if we don't spend time with one another. The third word, outward, means that we are called to, well, we have a calling to our communities. Uh, It's not just about what happens within the walls of this church. It's not just what happens in this building. We are to to take the gospel into our communities. Whether it's through our lips or through our lives, we are to to love our neighbors. We are called to care about people's eternal destinies. And so those three words are reminders to us of what we're called to do, upward, inward, outward. As simply as I can put it, that's what the church of Christ is called to. And maybe we need to ask ourselves a question that, that might be somewhat uncomfortable for us this morning. And the question in light of Haggai chapter 1 and in light of what I just said is, what am I contributing to this? Am I a, a faithful instrument of the Lord's as he builds his church here at Zion? Or have I become somewhat indifferent to the work? Am I just kind of, you know, going through the motions, maybe checking a box, but not really an active part of the body of Christ moving forward? Haggai is a, a very helpful, very relevant book for us to study. One of you came to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, when you're done with Revelation, you should think about preaching Haggai, and so I decided to do that. It's short, it's just two chapters, But it's got a very, very powerful, very uh, relevant message for us this morning. As the Lord calls us to move forward with the ministry that he has called us to. 
And I want to look at this passage today in just three parts. First of all, we see the apathy, and, and then we see the admonition, and then we see the action. The apathy, the admonition, and the action. Now you've all heard that uh, the three most important parts of real estate are location, location, location. It's all about location, right? Well, when it comes to Bible interpretation, you could say that the three most important parts of Bible interpretation are context, context, context. And and so if we're going to understand Haggai 1 and not just rip it out of our Bibles and and try to figure it out by itself, we, we have to first of all know the background of this book. Children, you might remember that there was a point in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel was divided into two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and you had the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, the southern kingdom of Judah, specifically the city of Babylon, or city of Jerusalem, was absolutely decimated by the Babylonians in the year 586 B.C. For, for years, if you read your Old Testament, you discover this, for years, Prophets had gone to God's people and warned them. It warned them to repent of their idolatry and destroying our church and taking us off to live in their land. That, that's what happened to God's people in the 6th century B.C. But about 50 years later, in, in 539 B.C., there was a glimmer of hope. Babylon was defeated by the Persians, and and Persia was now the new world power. And and their emperor, their king, a man named Cyrus, told the Jews that they could go back to their home and rebuild their city. And so around 538 B.C., a, a number of Jewish people left Babylon because Cyrus said they could. They went back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the city. You can imagine what an exciting time that would be. After after 50 years of exile, after 50 years of captivity, you get to go home. You get to rebuild your city. You get to rebuild your church. And that's what they did. They they go back to Jerusalem and, and they start rebuilding everything. But it wasn't easy. It was very difficult. It didn't take long before there was opposition, specifically opposition from the Samaritans. And and the opposition kind of shut down the whole building program. One author says this, he says, the Jews had many enemies who were strong, politically well-connected, and determined to frustrate their efforts. And, and when that happened, when, when these enemies came in, when the opposition came, the people began to become very discouraged. They didn't want to deal with opposition. And so this whole project that the Lord had called them to came to this, this giant screeching halt. For 17 years, nothing happened. Everything stopped. And so God raises up a prophet named Haggai in 520 B.C., to bring a message to God's people. And that's the book that is before us this morning. Haggai is is writing to a people who had become discouraged, who had become apathetic, who had become indifferent. He's writing to a group of people who just felt beat down. 
Notice what the people were saying in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But they're saying, yeah, we know what God's called us to do. We, we know that, that we need to rebuild the temple, we need to, to move forward with this work, but, but now's not the right time. Now why did they feel that way? Why is this group of God's people, why are they feeling so discouraged or so indifferent or so apathetic? It's easy to say, I, I don't want to get involved. And that's exactly, I think, what had happened here in the book of Haggai. Apathy is a very real problem. It, it, can, it can stop the rebuilding of a temple. It can hinder your parenting. And it can certainly hinder the work of a church. And, and this is where we need to ask God, God, use your word and, and by your Holy Spirit, examine me. Let's not say examine them Let's all say, God, use your word and your spirit to examine me. Have I become apathetic? Have I become indifferent to what the Lord calls me to do? Have I forgotten the, the upward, inward, outward calling that the church has? Have we forgotten that? God is, God is you see, calling us to to examine our lives this morning in light of his word. You'll, you'll notice a little phrase that's repeated twice in verse 5 and verse 7. God says, consider your ways. In the original language, literally it says, set your heart upon your ways. In other words, God's saying, take this to heart. Carefully consider your heart, carefully consider how you're living your life. Are you a church builder? Are you a, a faithful instrument of Christ as he's building his people here at Zion? And so that's the apathy. Secondly, you'll notice the admonition. God is going to, first of all, address their, their concern or their maybe their excuse that they were too busy and that they couldn't afford it. Look at verse four. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Children, the house that was lying in ruins was the temple. It was the, the Old Testament church, if you will. God is saying, you're gonna live in your paneled houses while my temple is just rubble? You have to understand that word paneled. You'll notice it there in the text. God, God is not saying to his people, you know, I don't care if you're homeless as long as you're building my church. God's not saying that. But, but in that day, the typical house was made out of stone. But if you wanted to, to make your house stand out, if, if you wanted to make your house look really nice, and this would have been, you know, HGTV in the 6th century B.C., they would have told you, you know, if you really want to make your house pop, if you want your house to be noticed, put some paneled wood on it. 
And, and so what people would do is they would, they would get these strips of wood and they would lay them over the concrete walls of their house. It wasn't cheap to do it. It wasn't easy to do. It was a lot of labor. But it, but it looked really good. Now, interestingly, the, the only other time this kind of paneled wood is referred to, it's used to describe Solomon's temple in the book of First Kings. And children, you might know that Solomon's temple was a gorgeous, magnificent building. The point is, it's not that the people were too busy. It's not that they didn't have enough money. But the point that God is making to his people is that their priorities had become misplaced. One commentator says this, he says, Haggai's point is that the people had been quite happy to put precisely the kind of time and resources into building their own houses that they claimed were not there to restore God's house. It was a priority issue. And and here, God reminds them that, that living this way, pursuing your own agenda at the expense of God's agenda, pursuing what I want to do instead of what God calls me to do, doesn't bring lasting fulfillment. It brings emptiness. Look at verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. People thought that that they would find lasting satisfaction and, and true meaning in living for themselves. They thought that they would be happy by pursuing their own agenda. But but God says, in in the end, it's never enough. In the end, you will will never be satisfied. It's like a quote I gave to you months ago, maybe a couple years ago, from John Rockefeller. John Rockefeller lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And and Rockefeller was the richest man of his day. If, If he was living right now, John Rockefeller would be worth $400 billion dollars. One time, John Rockefeller was asked the question, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and then I'll be happy. Just a little bit more and, and that'll be enough. But brothers and sisters, you know it, it never is enough. It never will bring you true happiness. God says to his people, if you look down at verse 9, you you looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Our world is crazy busy trying to find happiness. Our world is bent on finding lasting satisfaction in the things of this world. But has there ever been another time in the history of the world when there has been so much depression and so much anxiety and and so much hopelessness and despair? That's what many people come to 
when they spend all that they have to find happiness in the things of this life. And, and I think even as Christians, we feel a, a certain emptiness when we neglect who God calls us to be as the body of Christ. Sometimes I will hear people say, I'm, I'm too busy to be involved at church. I'm too busy to, to serve in, in any capacity. Now I get it that there are times when age or health pre- prevents us from being involved like we would like to do. But too often, I'm not saying always, but, but too often saying, I don't have the time to serve at church it is simply another way of saying, I'm too busy doing what I want to do. And therefore, I don't have the time to do what God calls me to do which is to use my gifts for his kingdom. And, and I think there's a certain level of emptiness that comes from living that way. And, and sadly, living that way will often run the risk of our children living that way. They'll be too busy when they get older. I'm so thankful for, for so many of you who, who are so faithful in serving. Many of you are... are are very, very involved in the life of this church. But I do, I do want to encourage those of you this morning who are kind of sitting on the fringe. We need you. This church needs you. Children, we need you. Young people, we need you. Single adults, we need you. God has called all of us to be involved in a, an amazing thing. And that is to be a part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. To use the time and the talents and the treasures he's given to us. To promote the greatest message the world will ever hear. We need you. We need all of you to, to jump in and, and use whatever phrase you want, row the boat, drive the bus, whatever analogy you want to use, we need all of you to be part of what God is doing in his church body here. And that was the message that Haggai was bringing. We're all busy. I, I don't discount that. But the Lord does call us to be part of his body. As the sermon title suggests, it's time to get back to work. That's really what the Lord says to his people here. If you look at verse 7, he says, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. Instead of spending all your time paneling your houses, instead of investing yourselves in things that don't satisfy, God says to his people here in Haggai, refocus. 
We focus on my house. Reinvest yourself in in things in which I am glorified. In fact, God says that in verse 8, doesn't he? He says, listen to me, follow me, and I will be glorified. I think that that would have been important for them to hear in the face of their discouragement. In the face of some of the opposition that they were facing. To to hear that this is, is God's work in which he will be glorified. Because you see, it's easy when, when we face opposition or we face discouragement, it's easy to say, I'm done with this. I'm done. This is too hard. This is too discouraging. I don't need this in my life. I've been there. And maybe you've been there too. But ultimately, it's not about me. It's ultimately about following God's call. What God calls us to do. It's about what pleases him. It's about what glorifies him. And when God calls us to do something, he will equip us for the task that he has called us to do. We're not the first group of people to be discouraged. We're not the first group of people to feel apathy and and. And discouragement. We're not the first group of people to face opposition. We're not the first group of people who, who want to just give up and, and pack it in. Church history is filled with stories like that. But it's time. It's time to get back to what the Lord has called us to do. And again, what he's calling us to do is summarized in those three, three words, upward, worshiping God, inward, serving, loving one another, outward, telling others about Jesus, inviting them to worship, caring for people in our communities. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. Number three, the action. Verse 12 tells us the people obey, obey the voice of the Lord that they fear the Lord. And verse 14 tells us they get back to work. They get back to working on the house of the Lord. They don't, they don't just talk about it. They, they don't just say, hey, let's, let's form a committee and let's talk about how we want to get back to the work. No, they, they get back to work. Verse 15 even tells us when. Another timestamp. It says on the 24th day of the sixth month. If you look at verse 1, Haggai preached his sermon on the first day of the month and 23 days later, on the 24th day of the month, the people get back to work. God, by his word and spirit, stirred the hearts of his people to return to what he had called them to do. And I believe very firmly that what God says here in verse 13 would have been such an encouragement and such a motivating factor to their getting back to work. Notice what the Lord's message is for his people in verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. We have to remember that this morning. God is with us. Do you believe that? Do we believe that as a congregation that God is with us? Now, we say we believe it. 
We, we say that's part of our theology, God is always with his people, but, but do we live our lives knowing that it's true? Do we get involved in existing ministries here at Zion, Zion knowing that the Lord is always with us? Do we courageously attempt to start new ministries here knowing that the Lord is always with us? Do we talk to others about Jesus? Do we invite other people to worship knowing that the Lord is always with us? Do we love one another and serve one another and encourage one another knowing that the Lord is always with us? If he's not with us, we're spinning our wheels. We're wasting our time. But he is with us. And it's time to get back to work. You know, one of the reasons why God was so concerned about the, the rebuilding of the temple is because of what the temple symbolized. The, the, the temple was not an end of itself. The temple was not just a building Children, the, the temple symbolized the very presence of God with his people. And God wanted his people to know that. God wanted his people to know, but because God knew that, that they would become discouraged, that they would become perhaps beat down because of enemies and opposition and other things. God wanted them to know God is with us. What can man do to us? On top of that, the, the temple was pointing something, pointing to something forward, pointing to the future. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was written about 200 years before Haggai. In the book of Isaiah, God gave his people this, this great prophecy. It's in Isaiah 7:14. Many of you have heard this before. God says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Children, do you know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. And in Matthew's gospel, 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, Matthew tells us Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And, and that means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple. Jesus came from, from heaven to earth. He, he lived among us and he lived for us and he bled and died for us so that we would know the forgiveness of our sins, so that we would live forever with him, so that we would be part of his family. And in spite of our sin, in spite of whatever opposition we may face, he will never leave us. He is always with us. And that's why we can serve and that's why we can move forward with confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in the one who by his spirit is always with us. Brothers and sisters, we have a we have a wonderful opportunity. We have been blessed by God with these facilities. We've been blessed by God with faithful servants. We've been blessed by God with the only message that will ever bring lasting peace and satisfaction. And we've been blessed by God with the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
who is with us always. What are we doing with this message? What are we doing with the opportunities that God is giving us? Are we making excuses? Are we, are we letting opposition discourage us? Or are we moving out in faith and saying, the Lord is always with us? It's time to get back to work. It's time to get back to what the Lord has called us to do. Upward, inward, outward. All for the glory of the one who gave his son so that we might be part of his family. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to know the one who is the fulfillment of the temple. And if you're here this morning and you do not know him, if you're here this morning and you think Christianity is just this, you know, the list of do's and don'ts, be better, try hard, serve. I'm with you. It's a great message for us to be reminded of this morning. May God empower each one of us. May he stir each one of us like he stirred his people 2,500 years ago. May he stir us up to get back to what he's called us to do. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, which is so timeless, so relevant, so applicable. Any day, any time, any century, any place. Lord, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to become indifferent at times. And yet you tell us in your word that you are with us, that you call us to this task, the task to bring the glorious gospel to one another, to our community, so that you may be glorified. Lord, stir our hearts and empower us by your spirit that we may serve you and we may serve one another. We ask this in Jesus' name.